Do you have chronic busyness? And this is a real diagnosis by real medical professionals. They call it chronic busyness. And if you don't believe me, uh, I don't know, Google it or something. Um, But it is something that exists. And there are three ways to tell if you are too busy or if you actually have this chronic busyness. And if I'm putting all, everything out there, I am guilty of all three of these things. Number one. When you come to a stop, or when you move from one checkout lane to another because you just noticed it's shorter, okay? Anybody do that? I do it every time, I, I, myself. Uh, I'm mainly doing this because of my own life, really. Uh, number two, when you come to a stoplight, you count the cars ahead of you and you switch lanes accordingly. Anybody else? Every time, I do, I do it without even thinking, just every single time. I see some kids, hey, you see that, Mom? That's you, okay? All right, and number three, this is the one that uh, has led to several fights in my household, Uh, but this number three is you multitask so much that you forget one or more of your tasks. Okay, anybody guilty of that? So if you follow, if, if any of those three things are things that you do on a normal basis, you are chronically busy. You have chronic busyness, and it's a real diagnosis. I don't have any help for you except for tonight's lesson, okay? So, I, uh, like I said, I kind of fall into all of those things. Some other words that we use when we talk about busyness is maybe uh, being in a hurry. You know, we're always in a hurry trying to get from one place to another. Uh, we get upset when somebody's driving five miles per hour under the speed limit, right? That's me. I get, Why is this guy going 30? It's the 35 speed limit, right? Um, There's a famous guy, his name is Dallas Willard, and he had this quote. He said, hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. We must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our life. And when questioned about this quote, he said, these are some of the things that he's talking about. He said, when we hurry, when we're too busy, we are a lot more stressed We become addicts, not just to our work, but to our phones, uh, sometimes to Netflix, and we let Netflix make us even busier. We are a lot more stressed, we're a lot more irritable, we're a lot angrier people when we are constantly busy. If we weren't in such a hurry and that guy cut you off in the the road, you wouldn't be ready to yell at him. You would just be like, oh well, he probably is in a hurry, let him go on, right? Right? How often do I do that? Never, okay? Uh, and we have to re-change our, we have to change our mind, refocus on what's important, and get out of this life of busyness and stress and anxiety. Think about when you just are talking to somebody. You walk up to somebody and you say, so, how are you doing? How often do you hear the answer, well, I'm doing good, but I'm busy, or in my case, I'm tired, Right? What am I saying when I say I'm tired? Yes, I'm sleepy because I have a little baby at home. But the big thing that I'm saying is I am doing too much in too little time. Before the light bulb was invented, I thought this was really interesting. Before the light bulb was invented, and it was widely accepted, and people started using it in their homes and businesses, um, and started making street lights and all that stuff, the average American slept 11 hours a night. I would like to sleep 11 hours in a week. (laughs) 11 hours a night? That's crazy, right? 
And now the average American between the ages of 18 and 40 sleeps about five to seven hours a night. We are too busy. We are hurrying too much. Think about when you, what you see online. It causes this stress that causes this whole outrage culture where people get so upset and want, are calling for the head of this, this celebrity because he, he made a mistake a long time ago. Or these people that, that messed up and did something wrong a long time ago, well, they're wanting them to be fired from their job. Or uh, somebody said one thing and it just completely ruins their entire career, their life. This outrage culture, chronic anxiety, this huge, just crazy thing of people being burnt out from work. Um, we have loneliness. You see families break down. When the COVID stuff started happening, you see people trying to still work and trying to do this, myself included, and it causing a lot more stress and a lot more anxiety. You see social and political polarization. People are in such hurries and such such busyness that they completely are polarized on different things and they get so worked up about these things and make them mean a lot more than they did beforehand. There was a guy that, went, that, that said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll just make you busy. We cut off our soul from experiencing spiritually rich lives. And there's three things that we'll talk about tonight. But I just, I, I want you to think about the number of people that, that are busy that you, are, that you see on a normal basis. And I don't mean busy, because there's, there's some healthy busyness, and we'll get into that in just a little bit. Uh, but how many people are overly busy? I can think of any number of people. I'd say my parents are busy I'd say my friends are busy. I'd say my, a lot of, a lot of people that, that I know that are ministers are busy. They're hurrying through things. We've got students, the, our high school kids are busy. They go from one game to the next practice to school to the next game to the next practice to school to the next game. We have people that are retired that are too busy. We've got college students that are too busy. It doesn't matter if you're married or unmarried. We've got people that are just too busy. Now, like I said, there is a healthy busyness. And this healthy busyness is something that I think we can all kind of agree on. If you are too busy to go out with your friends because you are too busy helping somebody in need... That's a good thing, right? We can, we can fill our calendars up with Bible study, and we'll, that's kind of what I'm going to get into here in just a little bit. We can fill our calendars up with serving people. We can fill our calendars up with Bible study. We can fill our calendars up with prayer time, where we can fill our calendars up with meditation time. And we can avoid this crazy busyness schedule, but it all is something that we have to make sure that we are doing it on purpose, right? We have to be intentional about what we do with our time, but most of us fall into the toxic busyness, that chronic busyness that we talked about. We've got too much to get done and not enough time to do it. We'd like to go on a vacation, but we just can't miss work. We'd like to take some time off, but we just can't because we have too much going on. We speed up our minds, we speed up our bodies, we speed up our relationships, and we speed up the relationship that we have 
with Christ to the point that it's out of control. We become irritable, overly sensitive, restless, overworking, emotional numbness. We have escapist behaviors where we try to escape any situation that we can get into. We become completely disconnected from who we are and whose we are. It becomes difficult for us to attend our basic needs like maybe showering or eating. How many of you have skipped a meal because of work? How many of you have skipped other things because of work? Exercising. How often do you study your Bible? And if you didn't work, how much would you study your Bible then? And there's more at stake than just our emotional health. Our spiritual life is completely forgotten. Matthew chapter 22 if you'll open up your Bibles there, Matthew chapter 22, and we are going to be in verses 37 through 39. This is an example. This is what Jesus says about this. This is Matthew 22, 37 through 39. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. I think one of the best ways to combat this busyness, this chronic busyness, is if we truly love others the way Jesus did, we'll find time for others. We'll find time to serve people. You may be very busy, but we're going to find time to study our Bible. We're going to find time to meditate on the things that we're studying and listening for God and praying and asking for His guidance. If we love others, think about the many, how, how many times that Jesus was interrupted in his normal everyday things. Okay, we see him just completely, he's teaching, everything's going good, and then somebody comes in and interrupts everything. Or maybe he's at somebody's house, and he's eating with those people, and he's enjoying his time with those people, and in comes this lady, and she just starts weeping and washing his feet, and he's just, what is going on? If that was one of us, how would we respond in that situation? What would we do if somebody came running up to us, interrupting everything that we're trying to do? I'll tell you what I would do. I do this kind of stuff all the time. When I'm doing something that I deem important, and my daughter comes up and says, Dad, will you fix me some, a snack? I want a snack. I want a snack. And I'm like, hold on. Give me just a second. There's the irritability, right? being irritable because I am just too busy. But Jesus wasn't too busy for anybody. He saw the importance of just stopping, not being in a hurry, listening to what these people said, and always giving them a ready and collected answer. In all of those moments, C.S. Lewis actually says, how you respond to an interruption is who you really are. And we actually see who Jesus is in these times when he's interrupted. When somebody comes in and, and completely throws him off of his game, we still see Jesus to his core. Somebody who loves people. Somebody who cares about those people. Hurry makes it almost impossible for us to show others love. We have to take on 
a relaxed life, the same life that Jesus had. One of the first things that we read about Jesus is in Luke chapter 5 or Mark chapter 1. There's a lot more instances, and we'll kind of mention those here in a little bit. But it says that Jesus would find a quiet, lonely place to pray. Throughout the Gospel of Luke, as you see Jesus' popularity rising throughout this entire Gospel, you see his popularity rising, you see more people following him, more people chasing after him, and as you see more people and his busyness getting bigger and bigger, you see he also retreats from all of that more often. Starts out with just once, twice, three times, and in a span of about four or five chapters, it's about ten times that he retreats off to find a place where he can be lonely and pray, where he can be in solitude, in silence, so that he can pray to God. When I get busy, the first things that go are fill in the blank. When you get too busy, what are the first things that go? I'll tell you, the first thing that goes is anything that I don't have to be studying in the Bible, like when I'm preparing for my classes, my lessons, my sermons, the first thing that goes is usually that. I've got a lot of events that I'm having to plan out. I've got a lot of stuff, and I'm still getting my Bible study, or at least I tell myself that, because I'm preparing classes, and I'm preparing lessons, and I'm preparing devotionals. So I'm doing my Bible study, but I'm not doing my own study. And that's the first thing that goes. The next thing that goes when I'm, when I'm still too busy is my prayer life. It starts to dwindle a little bit. The next time that I see it, it's, it's, I fill up all of my free time with playing video games or watching a TV shows or you fill in the blank. Why do we read the gospel in the first place? Let's, get, let's, let's see if we can get some answers. Why do we read the gospel? Somebody, you can raise your hand and I'll call on you. Why do we read the gospel? It's good news. Okay, I'm tired of reading about bad news, right? Okay. Why do we read the gospel? Let's get another answer. Come on. You can shout it out. Okay, we want to know what it says. There we go. That's pretty straightforward, right? Somebody in the back, raise your hand. Okay. Study to show ourselves approved. Very good, very good. Um, does anybody read biographies? Raise your hand. Anybody read biographies? I love history. It's, it, was, it was one of my majors in, high, in, in college. Uh, in high school, I loved history class. That was one of those ones that I really looked forward to going to. So... And I've, I've read a lot of biographies. One of my favorite ones was called The Marble Man. Uh, it's about um, some different Civil War generals. Uh, and I love, I love that era. Uh, I love the things that go on in that. But we read those things because we want to see people that we respect and how they handled the situations that life put them in. Why would we care how they handle those situations why would we care about that other than we hope that maybe we could handle that situation as well as Stonewall Jackson? Maybe we could handle a situation like that just as good as George Washington or Alexander Hamilton 
When we read the gospel, we see different times when Jesus is in these weird situations, weird circumstances, and we say, man, I really wish, I really hope that if that ever happens with me, that I'll be the person that acts like Jesus. That's why we read the gospel. We read the gospel so that we can mimic our lives after our Savior, so we can do the things that he does. We can see how he responds in these terrible situations so that we can respond in that same way. We need to know the best way to respond in those situations. That's why we read the gospel. And one thing that Jesus did better than any of us in here probably no, not probably, definitely, is the spiritual disciplines. When you make spiritual disciplines a priority, instead of being something that's the first thing to go when you get too busy, you say, this is going to be the number one thing that I do before anything else. Things start to change. It's not because you're doing it, but it's because God is changing you from the inside out. Our spiritual disciplines matter. We have to soak up these things that we read, that we hear, that we study, those things that we read about with Jesus, and we have to make those things an essential part of our lives. And if we're too busy for the disciplines, such as prayer, study, solitude, silence, joy, fasting, we have a problem. We have to be able to find a place of solitude and silence. We have to be able to experience God the same way Jesus experienced God. Go and find a quiet place to pray. Go and find a silent place to pray. Go and find a lonely place to pray. Matthew 4, 1 through 11, Matthew 14, 13, and number verse 23, Matthew 17, 1 through 9, Matthew 26, 36 through 46. That's just the book of Matthew that we see times where Jesus retreats away from his busy, busy life. You know, the life that was saving people from eternal damnation. And he retreats from that so that he can have communion with his God. So that he can pray in a silent place, in a place of solitude, in a lonely place. So our first step to beat this chronic busyness is we have to find a place that is silent. Find a place that is silent. For me, this is the hardest hurdle to jump when I'm seeking solitude. Because it's me having to shut my mouth and listen. Ecclesiastes 3.7, if you want to open up there, Ecclesiastes 3.7, he says, Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. James describes our tongues as a fire that could light an eternal or an entire forest ablaze. Proverbs 25.11 talks about how our tongues can be used in negative ways. And when we speak, we have to make our words matter. Silent, silence is something that we can legalize a little bit. We can make it a little bit legalist. Because anybody can just say, well, I just won't talk for a day. 
But that's not exactly what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is, you find the right times to open your mouth, and you find the right times to keep it shut. We're silent when we should speak, and we speak when we should be silent. And if we're doing that, it's going to be impossible for us to achieve this solitude that we need. Ephesians 5.2 says, Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. If we are to, to become a less busy person, we have to find time where we can find silence. And I'm not just meaning that you can't be a loud, outgoing person. I'm meaning that you should keep your mouth shut when it should be shut and speak when you should speak. The next thing in step two is that we need to listen in meditation. A lot of times when we talk about meditation, we always think about those people with their legs crossed, you know, the om, those people, right? I always think about those people, and in and, and the books that you read, I, I'm a, I, I read a lot of fiction books, and some, uh, some of it's like science fiction stuff, and so anytime that somebody's meditating, they say that they're trying to completely clear their mind of all thought, or clear their mind of everything, so that they don't have any, any thoughts or anything in their mind, Okay. But that's not at all what we're talking about when we talk about a spiritual meditation. This spiritual meditation is not an emptying of your mind. It's a filling of your mind with the things that reflect Christ. When your mind is full of the gospel, when your mind is full of the word of God, like what was read earlier, Psalm 1, 1 and 2, when we focus on the words of God and the gospel of Christ, that is when we're doing healthy meditation. We're not trying to get everything out of our minds. We're trying to fill our minds with the things that matter. Reflection and listening and allowing God to speak to us through his word. Meditation is a thing that can take you from step A, or from from point A to point B very quickly. It can help you make wiser choices. It can help you make better decisions. Should you just uproot everything and move your family half across the country? Well, if you don't take any time away to think about this, to consider this, to pray about this, chances are you're probably going to make the wrong decision. Finding time to meditate on the Word of God. I love, and I use this example so often, in James chapter 1. Uh, James chapter 1, and this is verse 23. James chapter 1, verse 23. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Chances are, if I've, since I've been up here and preached before, I've talked about this before, but this is such a clear and plain way for me to understand exactly what's going on here. When we meditate, we get to reflect on our lives. Before we take the Lord's Supper, we get to reflect on our lives and think about the things that we have going on, what's important, what's not important. Ways that we can serve God and opportunities that we can serve God or serve ourselves. 
this reflection thing, what, what he's saying here, James is saying, you would never stand in front of a mirror and let's say your makeup or your hair was just completely destroyed and all messed up and uh, you're missing a com- just completely missing an eyebrow. Somebody shaved it off, okay? Chances are, if you looked in the mirror and you saw that, you wouldn't go, oh well, and then just go right out in public and act like nothing happened. We've got people in this room that wouldn't leave their house without putting makeup on or fixing their hair or without wearing the right kind of clothes. What James is saying is, is he is saying there's people that read the Word of God and those people see what they need to change but aren't changing it. He says it's like looking in a mirror and seeing all these imperfections and not changing anything and moving on with your life and pretending like nothing is wrong. And that's one of the things that this reflection, this quiet time, this meditation time that you have can help you accomplish Where are some areas that I'm struggling? What are some places that that could really use some help? I know something. I know an area that could really use help. It could be this. Fill that time up with healthy spiritual meditation. And step three, pausing in prayer. There was a question, uh, there's a book called Celebration of Discipline, written by Richard Foster. It's one of my favorite uh, books when we're discussing disciplines. One of the best books, I think, that I've read uh, when, you're, when you're talking about spiritual disciplines. And, and he talks about prayer in a way that I've never heard someone discuss it. And this quote in, from his book, uh, Where would the world be if nobody prayed? Would there be a United States? even. How many more people would die every day if Christians didn't pray? How much worse off would the world be if nobody said prayers? And then the flip, how much better is our world because we pray? How many lives have our prayers saved? How many catastrophes have been prevented Because of our prayers. He has another quote in that same book. He says, I don't know if prayers, if if it was the power of prayer, if it was just a coincidence. But I do know one thing. Coincidences happen a lot more often when I pray. Prayer is very important. And it should never be the last thing that we do. It should never be the thing that when we fill up our life with busyness and busy, 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 that shouldn't be one of the things that goes. That should be one of the top things that stays. Just like Jesus shows us in the Gospels. We don't do these spiritual disciplines because we want to make ourselves better. We do these spiritual disciplines because we want God to be reflected in the way that we live. There's a guy uh, named Soren Kierkegaard, pretty famous uh, philosopher, Christian philosopher, and he had this quote, and uh, when he's talking about prayer, I, I, I really enjoyed this when I was reading through this. He says, a man prayed at first, a man was praying, and at first he thought prayer was all about talking But he became more and more quiet until in the end, he realized that prayer was mostly listening. These three disciplines can bring us 
out of the world of hurry and busyness into a world rich in growth and love for our God and for others. If we can do these three things, and I know it's a pretty large task, okay, I get it. Because these are things that I'm dealing with personally every single day because of how busy I've made my life. And a lot of that busyness is things like, well, we have to go to the zoo. You know, we have to. We don't have to go to the zoo. (laughs) That should be a fun thing to do. We shouldn't stress out about going to the zoo. That should be a fun thing to do. We shouldn't stress out about going on vacation. That's something we should look forward to and enjoy and take a break for a little while. We have to find a way to get out of this world of hurries and busies and find a way to find this area of solitude, of silence, and listen to God as we meditate and reflect on our life and pause and pray about the things going on in our lives. Pray about the people that we love, about the church that we love, and about the world and the crazy things that go on in our world every day. These three things are tough, but I promise you, if you can find some way, find some time, another busy word, find some time to do these three things, and you will live a more spiritually complete life. And I know there's a lot of people in here who are here because you chose not to be busy today. You chose to take off, or you chose to not have to work on this Sunday night so that you could actually find the time and be here. So I know I'm speaking to the choir in a lot of ways. But I would still be here even though I tend to be a little too busy. Tonight, if you have anything going on in your life, maybe you are too busy. Maybe you've got too much going on, and you realize that, and you want the help from this church to help you find that place of solitude so that you can meditate and pray. We want to do that for you. But most of all, I promise that place of solitude and silence is a lot easier to find when you become a Christian. Because you have that ability to to talk to your Lord and Savior, and know that He's listening, and know that He cares for you, and He loves you, and that you will one day be in heaven with Him. If you have anything at all that you would like for us to pray with you for about, about, or about, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.